Welcome to A Fostered Life, the show in which we explore the various facets of foster care through the voices of the many people who participate in the system. I'm your host, Christy Tennant Crispin, and this is Episode 5. It's back to school time, and for youth in foster care, that can either be a really good thing or a really, really hard thing, or a bit of both. Today I'm speaking with Ernest Henderson, Associate Director of Eastern Washington Education Programs at Treehouse. Ernest not only brings the professional insights of someone who devotes his career to helping foster youth succeed in school, but he also brings a background of being a former foster youth and a former foster parent. In this episode, we discuss some of the ways a foster parent can support their child in school, how to navigate communicating with your child's teachers and school personnel, and tips for preparing your foster youth to succeed in a new school. We also touched on positive discipline for youth in foster care and ways to empower and encourage our kids. Ernest mentioned a few things for foster parents to learn more about, including the Every Student Succeeds Act, and I've included several helpful links in the show notes for this episode, so be sure to check those out. I really appreciated what Ernest had to share, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. It's back to school time, and I really wanted to talk with someone who could give some insight into um, some of the challenges that are particular for kids who are in foster care during back to school time. But before we roll into that part of the topic, I would love to know, Ernest, when, I always ask my guests this, so this is kind of my starting out question, how and when did your life first intersect with the foster care system? (laughs) Um, I... I, uh... When my life first intersected with foster care was probably when I was about three years old, and that was the first time I was placed in foster care with my sisters. Um, I have one older sister and two younger sisters, um, and we were in foster care in and out of just under a dozen times into my early teens, um, and that was you know, throughout the country, actually, we lived in Arkansas and Iowa and, and brief stays in Texas and other places, and then ended up in uh, Washington uh, around five years old. Wow. And, uh, and then uh, a long series of in and out of, in and out of foster homes in, um, in and out of placement with my mother and very occasionally my father, but for the most part, um, it was a very, very chaotic existence. Wow. Do you remember how many schools you attended throughout the course of your school going years? I, I do. I, I attended 17 schools by the time I graduated high school. Wow. Wow. Um, That's the same. I, another one of your colleagues at Treehouse, I think, said 17 also. Oh, really? Trying to get my head around that. Yeah. In one of my other conversations. Um, wow. So, okay. So you bring not just the experience of someone who is currently working like to kind of address this as a professional, but you also bring the insight of having lived it. I bring the insight of having lived it, the high ACES scores that come from it, all the, mm-hmm. the trauma mm-hmm. that comes with it. And uh, although I would like to point out that um, every experience is, is uh, unique and different on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, I, what I went through is, you know, I, I, there are similarities with my colleagues and friends who, who went through foster care as well, but they're significantly different sometimes. Interesting. Um, yeah. 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 Well, so um, can you tell me about what you do in your role at Treehouse? Yes. So in my role at Treehouse, I manage all the education programs in Eastern Washington. Um, so we have Graduation Success, which is our kind of our, our largest program. That's the program where we work with youth uh, in high school. Um, and our, our goal, obviously, is to get um, get them graduated high school on time. Uh, it's a very highly uh, intervention-based program. Um, I have staff that work with caseloads up to 25 kids. They meet with them on a regular basis, on a, at least weekly, oftentimes more than that. We do a lot of goal setting. We deal with ABCs, attendance, behavior, course performance, um, a lot of resource allocation, making sure they have have what they need. Um, and and that, that comes to the barrier, barrier removal. Um, uh, and then... So my job primarily is to oversee those programs, oversee the expansion or the growth of our program in Eastern Washington. So we started graduation success in Eastern Washington three years ago. We started in the city of Spokane um, with five five employees under me in that program. We've now grown to, I want to say, about 15 districts. That's not an exact number. I probably should know that, but I, I uh, could probably supply that with you later. Um 
and uh, and again about 15 employees that work in graduation success. Um, we've last last year we served somewhere around three or four hundred kids in that program, and um, graduation rates are getting higher every year. We I believe in the city of Spokane we had 38 graduates this year from the program. Um, high school graduates. That's on-time graduation. That's incredible. Um, that it, really it, is. It, it, you know, it, this program um, basically doubles a youth's chance of graduating high school on time. That's in foster care. Yeah. And in this state, their chance of graduating on time is about 40%. Wow. Uh, those aren't exact numbers, but they're, you know, mm-hmm. roughly it's, it's mm-hmm. right around there. So, um, so I manage that program. Um, I manage educational advocacy, which is one of our longest running programs where we, uh, um, I have I have five staffs placed throughout our our end of the state. They work Kate with uh, students pre K through twelve. They um, I call them my firefighters. So they get a referral that there is an educational barrier in place that this youth needs removed. And so um, my my staff kind of inter- interject themselves into the process. They they meet with if there are sides of the of the the issue. They meet with both sides. If they try not to be adversarial. Mm-hmm. They go in. Their their number one job is to remove that barrier and get the youth back on track as mm-hmm. as quickly and as realistically as possible. And then you know when when they've identified that the issue is is or the barrier is removed, and uh, and they look around and make sure there's no other little fires around. They you know they put all those fires out and they close the case and they move on. So it's it's not it's not long term. It's not highly intervention. They don't work with the the youth as much as they work with the stakeholders involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the program that keeps them in school until they get to graduation success. That's kind of how we look at that. Right. And uh, it's a very powerful program. We also have a, a post-secondary program called um, Launch Success, which mm-hmm. is where our youth um, move into after they graduate high school. And mm-hmm. that, that um, will support them up to age 26. We, uh, that, that works primarily on housing, education, and career. Yeah. Um, it's a lot more independence and self-advocacy based. So good. And yeah. yeah. And so, so my job is to manage the whole breadth of those programs to support my staff, to, to lift them up, to edify them, to make sure that they have what they need to serve our kids as best as possible. Um, I'm in charge of expansion. I'm in charge of meeting with new stakeholders, school districts, you know, uh, kind of uh, educating them on what our program is and why we'd like to work with them and making sure contracts are signed and things like that. So I have a lot of administrative duties in regards to that. I'll, uh, half my job is relationship development and maintenance. I want um, I want stakeholder agencies, other similar agencies, even non-government ones, to work with us because every resource that we can connect our youth to is, improves their chance of, of launching into adulthood successfully, right. not falling off those tracks. So. Right. Um, and, the, and then in a more pragmatic way, I, I oversee the program managers. They're my, I, I directly supervise them, mm-hmm. and they directly supervise our, our, uh, our direct service staff. Great. Great. Thank you for that overview. Um, We're in back to school season and a lot of places in the country school has already started. I know in Virginia where I came from, um, school has already started. My nephews and nieces are all in school in North Carolina and all that. But here in Washington, they're getting ready to start another week and a half or so. And, um, And school is I mean, it is it is a big deal for every kid, but when you add um, in the challenges that are facing a lot of kids in care, um, school can be either a, a really like safe and wonderful place and they can't wait to get there, or it can be just like another, like you said, a place full of barriers. And um, the statistics are fairly widely known or if not known, easily uh, easy to find about graduation rates and success rates in school and for kids who are in care. And um, when you talk about, for example, you know, changing schools 17 times and just the instability, um, there's so much that our kids have to deal with anyway. And then you add the challenges of, of what they face in school. So I would love to unpack uh, with you or have you unpack for us some of like um, what would be helpful for foster parents, especially to know and to keep in mind and to consider so that we can do a better job of advocating for our kids and helping them learn how to advocate for themselves. So could we, could we dive into that together? 
Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I speak from experience here. I was a foster parent for a long time, oh, for wow. about a little over a decade. My wife and I fostered, I don't remember the exact number, but a little, uh, probably over 10 kids wow. at, all the way from toddlers to high school seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, we, we kept all the way till graduation and he is now our son. He was just here with his four daughters last summer for a week. That was that was a blast. Um, so I have granddaughters through him. So we have a lot of experience with that as well. And so I, I, I know I, I can, I can at least speak to that side, but from my own personal experience, number one, our youth to, to, to succeed at anything, um, educational or, or anything else in life, they need to have their needs met. So, um, and oddly enough, that can be an issue even in foster care. We need to make sure that they're housed properly. They have a safe space at home, that they have a, sta- a place to study. They need regular meals. You know, we 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 got to get out of the habit of using meals and snacks as a punitive measure, which unfortunately takes place. Um, eliminate those barriers to any type of needs being met. Mm-hmm. Um, now, once once needs are met, which we all need to succeed at anything else. Um, I would say just some basic things are support your youth in extracurricular activities, allow them to do sports. Don't use those things as a punitive thing as well. Don't say, well, you misbehave. So you're not going to football practice. So you're not going to be in drama. Statistics show that kids that drop out of those things do far worse, no matter yeah. what the case. Yeah. So do everything you can to support them in extracurricular activities. You know, my, my, my son, he's a, he's a track kid. My, he's 15 years old this fall. He's, he's, he's on the football team as the drone operator. He does the camera. Oh you know, my he's, gosh. That's you know, amazing. I, I, I played football for years. I was even a college football player. He's a big kid, but I, I didn't really want my kid playing football. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my yeah. joints can attest to, to that, yeah. but so he's on the team as a drone operator. He does their camera stuff. He loves it. That's There's amazing. so many things that we can do to help our, our youth, um, get connected to a peer group, get connected to a friend group, feel like they belong and extracurriculars are the way to do it. We need that support. And by support, it means making sure they have their needs met. You know, if they're, if they're a football player, they're going to need football shoes. If they're, if they're in drama, you know, they may need help with, with, um, with their, their outfit or their, their costume. Um, they need gear, things like that. But most importantly, they need transportation. If they have early morning practice, help facilitate that. You'd be, you might not be surprised with the number of kids in foster care that don't get to participate because their foster parents or their group home won't or can't facilitate that. It's just, it's unfortunate. You know, I mean, I'm that parent that's up at four in the morning, yes. making sure my kids get into a volleyball game and, yes. and at, at a tournament till midnight. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, I can't remember the last time I went to a movie <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I'm, you know, and, and I think that's what we need to remind ourselves that when we become foster parents, it's, it's not, it, it is a responsibility mm-hmm. to give of ourselves so that, that these, these young people can, uh, can succeed. Um, yeah. Some more pragmatic things. We need to set consistent study times. Consistency is not part of um, the regular uh, flow of their life. So mm-hmm. every night from five, you know, after dinner, after they do their chores from 530 to 730, they're going to sit down and study. Um, you're going to be in communication with their teachers to make sure you know or get on the get on online, get on power school and skyward so you know what they need, what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um and then have um, alternative things. If they if they truly don't have homework that night, have them read a book, mm-hmm. have them engage, you know, give them a question and make them Google it and figure out and give you a verbal report, you know, and improve skills, that the, you know, those kind of skills. Um, allow for recreation. Let them play video games. Let them have free time. Let them, you know, um, let, let them be kids. Their, their life is so serious and they face so much trauma. Let them be kids. Everything doesn't have to be by the rules and by the books. This is me getting personal about it because I see yeah. too many foster parents. Oh, I took his games away because he didn't do his right. homework last night. Yep. Yep. You're not, you're not making things better, yeah. you, you know, by you doing know, that. Yeah. Um, I want to, can we pause for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple things you've said that I think we could um, sort of, I would love to explore a little bit more. And one of, course, of them yeah. is this, I, it, it, they flow together. One of them is when you become a foster parent and um, 
the kind of foster parent I'm hoping to see more of are the kind who understand that this is a laying down of your life for this child in the same way you would for your own biological child. The minute they enter your home, they deserve to have you giving them absolutely the best of everything that you would give. And um, that's a huge passion of mine. And I kind of just feel like if you're not preparing to do that, if your vision of foster parenting is we're going to give them a safe place to be, room and board, and they're going to have somebody here, but we're not going to like go crazy going above and beyond. I'm like, you know, maybe don't do this kid any favors, you know, by Mm -hmm. becoming a foster parent. And from that, um, I also, you've touched a couple times on um, how people will use um, punitive measures to discipline children in foster care. And I wonder if we could talk about that a little bit. It's kind of a double, it's like diverging from the back to school topic, but um, it is just so, it's something that it kind of took me a while because I came from a really traditional parenting background. Mm -hmm. Um, I had never parented before, but like the way I was raised and it took me a couple years and training, like going through some positive parenting program to, well, positive parenting solutions to learn ways of um, redirecting and helping kids make different choices that weren't punitive. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. um, I I, I heard two questions there and I want to start with the first one and that is why are we getting into being a foster parent? And and I think that the the question that a a potential foster parent needs to ask themselves is, am I approaching this with a savior complex? Mm. Am I approaching this because I want to save the world and I want to save a kid? And do I want the glory and the accolades that come with that? Do I want them from my church or my peer group or my friends? If, if you can't answer no to those things, you're probably going to have a really hard time when you go into this because these kids that we serve fail so much and it's very frustrating and they test you. Mm-hmm. So if you go into it because you want to sacrifice and because you want to serve and because you want to build someone else up and edify – uh, and if you're not there, that's probably what you need to push yourself towards before you do it. When uh, when I was in foster care, when my sisters were, we always knew that we were second class to the the real kids in the home. So when my wife and I became foster parents, I said to her, you know, this is, was my experience. This is what I went through. You need to, to be on board with me on this. If we are going to take kids into the home, they are one of our children and we treat them as equitably as we would anybody else. Now, we're not going to treat them equally because my 15-year-old um, has different needs than my four-year-old. Sure. And right. so yeah. she was on board with that, and and that's how we approached it. And I, yes. I believe that's the only way to do it without causing more da- damage and more trauma. Agreed. So, 100%. So, yeah. I hope a lot of people hear that. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope yeah. so as well. Yeah. yeah. As far as the punitive thing, um, I do believe you need discipline. I mm-hmm. But I, I, I think discipline is... You know, establishing establishing a set of home rules, mm-hmm. um, expectations, and guidelines, mm-hmm. sticking to them... Um, understanding they're going to get broken, yeah. not having an emotional reaction when they do, because that's what the, what many youth are trying to elicit. They're, they're you know, yeah. they're trying to get you to walk away before they feel like they've been abandoned because they've yeah. been abandoned so many times so often. So I, um, my personal belief is that you set those standards, you, you approach it with kindness and love and firmness and you just stick with them and you continue to, every time you fall down, they get back up, you dust them off and you, you keep going. Uh, does that mean that there's no punitive measures? Well, of course not. You're going to, you know, anytime you raise a kid, they're, they're going to, you have to have something to back it up, you know, and, and, uh, and that, unfortunately, I'm not going to try to, well, fortunately, I'm not going to try to give exact advice because every youth is different in that situation. I've yes. had, I've had yeah. kids that have come into my home that, um, they didn't cause any problems at all, at, at all, but they didn't want to connect. And and that was almost the biggest issue. So we had to work around how they connected to the family. We've had, we've had other kids that came in that, that um, suffered from oppositional defiance. So I had to, to adjust the way that I couldn't tell them what to do. I had to ask right. them if they would do this, you know, mm-hmm. this is what I'd like. Will you do it? And, mm-hmm. you know, I had to, I had to suck down my pride as a father yes. and as a man yes. and, and not push that on them. So I had mm-hmm. to, you know, and, and not being a therapist or psychologist, I had to do my best to try to understand them and meet them where they were. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So I do believe in structure. I think kids want that. I do believe yes. in, I do believe in discipline. I just think some people, maybe they're not skilled enough at it. Maybe it's just the way they're raised and that they, they want to go with it, but they're punitive about everything. Everything. And, yeah. You know, and I, and without know. feeling right. Like sort of yeah. like, well, you know, you blew it. You're, I guess you just did. Yeah. You know, I, right, I mean, right. I've, I've had those moments, but I recognize mm-hmm. when I'm like, this is not helping this child at all. Right. Um, because they're already, and what I've seen, especially with, um, some of, some of our kids, they have already lost so much. Uh Like, what are you going to take from them? That's worse than what they've already lost, you know? And I find sometimes like the, um, the redos and giving actually like, let's try that again. And this time, why don't you make a different choice? And then we'll pretend like it never happened. You know, that sometimes goes a long, much longer way, um, than kind of that initial kind of reacting to everything. Right. Well, and here's an example that that isn't it isn't easy. There's nothing simple about this because it's so dynamic and so problematic. But most of our youth are online these days. Most uh, a lot of a lot of young young men and women are playing video games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from my generation, too much screen time was a really really bad thing. You know, the medical industry or you know that they, they say the same thing right now. Right. But I'll tell you what, um, my, I've had foster kids who that was their only connection to the kids they went to school with before. Right. It was you know as many times as they move, they can get online for an hour a night and talk to their best friends and still feel connected. Mm-hmm. And if you use that as as a way to punish them, mm. um, you are creating far more problems than you're fixing. Yeah. And so uh, you know, but on the other end, you have to look at the risks of being online. Line. You have to look at the the things you're exposed to, things like that. So right. it's not a simple, simple thing. And I'm certainly not trying to tell people how to do it, but at least think about what you're doing when you do it. And do it with compassion. Like even yes. if you do have to hand down a consequence, um, which like you said, we have to teach our kids that there are always consequences to the actions. Mm-hmm. Um, but to find a way to communicate that consequence with some empathy and some compassion um, it goes a long way. It really does. And yeah. So I would love to ask a little bit now back to the school thing. Um, uh, let's talk about how a foster parent talks with a teacher about the child in their care. Um, I know sort of each of the kids who we've had, I've had different levels of, um, engagement with professionals, um, I have found, and I would love to hear, even if you have a different perspective or or totally disagree with me, but I have found that it's been important to communicate to the teachers um, enough about the kid's situation so that they know, for example, when they're acting out, just to not automatically jump to sending them to detention or whatever. Um, Also, a lot of times... um, like the office personnel know the circumstances of the child being in care um, because I'm suddenly the person coming to get them from school or suddenly, you know, I've got paperwork showing. And so there's like, there's, we, we are told to maintain so much confidentiality for our kids, but I feel like sometimes in being an advocate for them at school, there requires this level of openness with the school personnel. And I just would love to hear your thoughts on that from a professional standpoint, but also as being a child who was in care. So the very first thing I think that every caregiver needs to do or anybody who has confidential information that they're looking to share with someone else is, um, do their best to understand where the kid stands on the subject. Um, I had, in a personal experiences, I had some teachers that were very, very um, strict with me because they knew I was a foster kid and I was probably going to act out. So once they found out, they they treated me much more harshly. I had other ones that went the other direction, and that was equally as as difficult because you know I I couldn't do anything wrong. I mean I was just given way too much. So but we're talking the you know the 80s, and it was a different time and in, in, um, information and education about foster care. The laws were a lot different back then. Um, we still have some of that residing in the schools where there, there's this fear of people knowing, but overall I found in my work that the more information um, or the, the, the more solid information that we share, the better. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that overall teachers do need to know the situation, but I also think that we need to in, engage in educating ourselves as foster parents and helping educate the schools because they don't know a lot of the things going on right now with uh, um, ESSA, Every Student Succeeds Act. It's, mm-hmm. it's a federal law that, that uh, spells out what we can and can't do with foster kids and, and the accommodations we need to make for them. Oh, wow. Well, I didn't well, even know about that. I'll put a link uh, to it in the show notes. 
and I would recommend that if you're you're doing foster care, you you start studying okay. ESSA and how it impacts foster care. Because, for instance, um, my 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 students at the end of the year, my my child, my 17 year old, if she is failing. Um, failing trigonometry and uh the, you know and, and she's got a 40 percent and there's a week left the teacher is going to tell me there's nothing we can do she's going to fail uh, essa says that if my daughter was a foster student that teacher would his response to me would ha- have to be um here's what your student would have to do to pass now they don't lay out guidelines to 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 force the the, the teacher to make any more accommodations but they can't say they can't pass they can only mm-hmm. say this is what they would have to do um, we've worked with that construct to get a lot of kids passed mm. late in the game that, mm. you know, because, you know, legitimately passed, but that we've worked with that. Right. So being educated about the laws, about the rights, mm-hmm. when we engage them, approaching teachers in a collaborative mindset, not an adversarial mindset, you're not right. going to get very far. If you come in and say, the law says you have to do this. Mm-hmm. No, you know, uh, gentle education on the law is really the way that we look at it. Help them understand that they, they are allowed to make accommodations. They're, they're required, but really they're allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that we need to inform our schools. We need to educate them and, and help them not make it help them address it without making it a big deal for the youth. Let them live as normal a life in that classroom as possible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also I'll speak from a foster parent point of view. I've had kids in, gosh, I want to say six or seven different schools. So I've dealt with a lot of different administrations over Mm -hmm. the years. And there are, um, there are those who are overly curious and overly interested so that they want to know not just the nuts and bolts, but they kind of want to know the nitty gritty of why this kid's in care and what happened to them and, you know, that sort of thing. And I just issue a harsh warning that I think foster parents need to be really ready and on guard with answers that are not going to alienate those folks because you are going to have to work with them. So like, I've gotten in the habit of saying, well, if you're curious about that, why don't you ask him? They're never going to ask him. I mean, you know, they're never going to ask the child. Or, I mean, just to say, you know, that's not my story to tell. You know, you know he's in care. That's really what you need to know. Like, that's it, you know. I, I really liked that. That was very diplomatic. The, the way you stated that—that that, that's not my story to tell. That—that that, I, I was thinking of what ways that I would respond to that, because um, clearly that's unprofessional. Totally, um, and, <laughs> and, it, and it, it violates uh, the spirit yeah. of FERPA, the FERPA laws yes. around. Um, yes. You know, I, I I live by the idea that the the people I work with, case by case, get the information they need mm-hmm. to do their job. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, it's uh, it, it's kind of about triangulation, about uh, um, gossip and things like that. Yes, I don't straight up I never, yeah, yeah, I never encourage that type of behavior. Yeah. I'm yeah. hoping that you know, and, and and you're right, different administrators function on different levels. Um, what, what I tried to do is be as diplomatic and collaborative as possible because ultimately it's not about me winning this fight. It's about making sure the kid is served as best as possible. Yeah. So, um, that's how I approach it. And, 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 and yeah, it's an interesting We had, um, Gosh, there have been times, too, when just by the nature of getting to know school professionals, um, and this was not like in a gossipy setting at all, but just there have been times when we've had kids placed with us, we didn't know almost anything about their history or anything at all, and it was through, like, just connections with people at the school that we even learned anything. Um, we had a couple of kids, a a brother and sister with us, um, a few years back and, um, they were not able, we weren't able to get McKinney Vento laws, uh, rides in place. So I was driving him to school like 45 minutes away every day. Right. And when, and so that meant I was always going into the school cause we were usually late cause it was like rush hour and it was just terrible. But anyway, um, but I got to know the school professionals and from them, I learned that, um, these kids had been in foster care before for a couple years with a really great family that they really loved. And through those conversations and talking to the kids, we were able to learn that they had actually been with another family for like three years and loved them and wanted to be with them. And that family wasn't contacted when they came back into care. And um, so we ended up, we ended up like advocating, getting in touch with that family and they, they were placed back with them like the next day. And it was like a happy really happy for everybody involved, but I would never have been able to do that if it hadn't been for the school professional, you know, the Mm -hmm. school people. Right. Anyway. Yeah. 
and and that's an example of of having the right amount of information of right. of information to to move forward. You know, unfortunately, most of our our social services are underfunded. There's a lot of yes. turnover and yes. things like that. Unfortunately, happened. I, that yeah. exact situation happened to me as a child. We had a foster parent that wanted us back, and they were never contacted. And and it would have probably been a at least created some consistency in, yeah. in the, the life. And uh, so yeah. it's funny to hear that. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, it's terrifying to think. And I remember thinking at the time, how often does this happen? Because, you know, um, anyway, I could go off on that. But um, so um, uh, I want to talk about when you have, you're a foster parent and you have a child in your care and you really feel like they are just not in the right place. So we've had, uh, we had one child who was in special ed and he was in a the school that our, that we were like zoned for did not have a program for him. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have a program that was suitable for him, let's say, where he was at. Um, uh, what are some of the rights of a foster parent to advocate for their kid or uh, not rights, but I mean, what are some of the ways that a foster parent in that situation can advocate for that child to get them into a school that does have the right you know, program for their special learning needs. Well, I, you know, I, I believe always the, the best approach is to, to um, approach situation at the lowest level possible. So start with a special ed teacher, um, you know, and, and, and see what accommodations can be made. If it's how they feel about the situation, if you don't get your needs met there, elevate it to the director of special ed, possibly the school counselor. And then, and then if nothing's really working, go straight to the administration and, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a squeaky wheel thing. You've got to you got to be there as much as you can and advocate as much as possible. I found that ninety nine percent of the times the schools absolutely want what's best for the youth. Um, there's just a lot of things involved. There's overpopulation in schools. There's there's the cost of transportation, which with youth in foster care, the the it, they have the same rights as McKinney Vento now as far as transportation. Um, to go back to their school of origin. Um, when it comes to an IEP, if they're not meeting the needs, they they know that they're they're obligated to meet those needs, and they need to make the accommodations or the changes. Um, just I would try not to go into it with the assumption they're being malicious. It's it's sometimes just procedural. Sometimes it's just that it's a bureaucracy, and there's so many people involved that maybe they maybe you're the one person with all the information and no one else is, and you just got to talk to people to make it happen. Yeah. But again, start at the lowest level, be be as diplomatic as possible, and then move it up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, worst case scenario, sometimes you, you can go to the, uh, the head of the special ed department at the district and, yeah. uh, and, but, but again, the, the higher up you go, the, sometimes the harder it is to do your work the next time you have another youth in foster yes. care. So, yes. Hmm. And, and no one knows your youth better than their teacher. So yeah. as far as how they're acting during the day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you, you want a positive relationship there if you can get it. Yeah. 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 Does, that, really does do. that answer? Yeah. It does. Yeah. I mean, in my experience, I have had great relationship. Well, we had one child and, um, the day I showed up with him at the school, the special ed teacher informed me that her class was full. And, and in her words, I don't know where they're going to put him. My class is full. And the next day he was in her class and she was not happy <laughs> and, right. you know, and he didn't belong in there. She knew it. And I quickly knew it. Um, I didn't have any good experience. I didn't have I didn't have any experience with maneuvering options in a mm-hmm. school setting, and so that sort of set me on exactly what you were talking about being a squeaky wheel. And it goes back to this idea we said at the very beginning: if this was your own child and they were in a situation in school where they were not learning, they were not functioning well, they were not flourishing, what would you do for them? And that's what you need to do for your your foster child. Um, because they, if you're not going to do it, who's going to do it? You know, that's what you're there for. Well, and I, and I will say this, and I, I should have said it before in the state of Washington, get a referral to Treehouse. Our advocate will intervene. And we've already navigated that, that so many times that it'll happen much faster. So, you know, within our program area, we would definitely help with that. Yeah. And that's the work we do. Which sadly, as a new foster parent, I didn't even know about that. I had a friend who had a child with special needs and she was like my funnel of information, but she was just a friend, you know, and she was just like, oh, he's got rights, you know, under these laws because he has an IEP and he's got, you know, 
all of us. Right, right. Well, there's a wealth of, of resources at our, our website, even if you're That's out of state. Fantastic. Um, can I, do you mind if I share yes. it? Yes. Oh, okay. please do. Please okay, do. I'll so, put it in the show notes too. Okay. It's treehouse4kids.org and it's uh, F-O-R. So not, not the number four treehouse4kids.org. Mm-hmm. And there is a wealth of, of information there. There's places to make referrals yes. to, to services. And uh, and you can always just, even if you're out of state, you can always call for help and information. And we, we could, you know, at the very least, find, you know, redirect you to somebody who can help. Yeah, yeah. There's... Um, I would love to spend some time hearing if you're willing to share some of your experiences in school in terms of... Um, what made a difference for you? I mean, clearly with the, you have defied some odds. You have defied <laughs> some <a> odds <laughs> <laughs> to be yeah. sitting here in the position that you're in mm-hmm. with the life that you have, you know, um, what, what did it for you? What, what were some of the things that turn, you know, helped? Right. Um, you know, I, I, I'm generally a pretty open book and I'll share about this. The the first thing I'll say is it's, I'm a very faithful person. I have a belief in God and I don't try to dive too much into that because I don't, I don't like to debate and argue with people. If yeah. I have a personal relationship, I'll talk more about that. But faith was the number one thing. Um, <laughs> beyond that, I am probably one of the most driven people I know. And I have been since a very, very early age. I've always been incredibly unrealistic about my talents. So I, I you know, I was, if I was playing football, I was going to the NFL. If I was going to school, I was going to be, you know, a doctor. I mean, a paleontologist. That's what I said to myself as a youth. Mm-hmm. So, um, so those are some of the things that, that that kept me driven and kept me going. Now, as far as um, what interventions in my life really were there, it's because um, we didn't have things like treehouse. No. Um, and and if you, I mentioned. Um, you know, I had some social workers, but it was a continual revolving door and, and they, they generally weren't involved very long. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was absolutely teachers. And I had some fantastic, amazing teachers that just stepped in at times. And, I, you know, I could go to school and I knew that I was safe and I was loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, you know, once I got into junior high where I had multiple teachers, at least I'd have one throughout the day that would do it. Um, I was I'm a very big guy. I'm, I'm six, six, three, six, four, I'm 300 pounds. I played college football. Um, so in high school, the coaches immediately latched onto me. I, you know, I wasn't a great player at first. It took a long time to develop, but they, they, uh, they took me, they put me into football and wrestling and invested in my life and they played different versions of a father role in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some, you know, I had some great English teachers and, and, uh, things like that, that kind of in a small way played a parenting role in my life. I mean, none of them played the complete, complete role, obviously it's not yeah. possible, but, right. but, uh, it, it was just teachers that showed me love and patience. Um, I was a horrible student, but I was a high tester. You know, my, I, my SAT was in the 99th percentile, but my GPA was, you know, below two point when I graduated. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I couldn't turn homework into save my life, but, um, but they recognized that I was, I was going to wrestling practice and I was washing dishes at Red Robin until three in the morning and mm-hmm. I was sleeping four hours and coming back. Mm-hmm. And so they, they just, they tolerated and they gave me patience and they mm-hmm. just being firm enough. So, um, the role of a great teacher is one of the, the most one of the most important things in this country, even, even for kids who aren't in foster care. That's absolutely you know, true. That was the we, case for you know, me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and I had a couple other people just that recognized that, that I needed a little bit of help and, and were there, but, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give myself some credit. I was really, really driven. I've, I've mm-hmm. pretty much worked full time since the age of 14 wow. while, while going to school and, and being an athlete. And, mm-hmm. and I was in and out of homelessness and things like that. But I, I, I always kind of knew where to, um, where to reach out when I really needed help. Um, by the grace of God, I didn't have addiction problems with, with substances. So it never became an issue for me like it did most of my contemporaries. Yeah. Um, so a combination of that drive, great people in the right places, uh, unrealistic addiction to sports <laughs> and, uh, under, you know, and, and which drove me all the way through, through college and things like that. And, uh, those are the things that saved me. Now, those are hard things to apply to your average foster youth mm-hmm. because they're not just automatic. Right. Right. Um, I want to talk a little bit for foster for a minute for foster parents listening. Um, if you're preparing to send your child back to school and, um, you know, whether this child is new, I just met somebody today, actually, um, who's incoming at the school that my kids are going to be going to. And, um, they are, they've been foster parents for two weeks and they're their first children. And, um, 
you know, and suddenly they're thrust into, into the world of, you know, back to school and all of that. Um, just a couple things that we do that I think do make a difference for our kids. Um, and if there's anything that you might add to this, but small things like take each of them shopping individually and get them excited about their back to school supplies. Um, rather than taking, I mean, we have five kids, so rather than taking, well, anyway, I try never to take all of them to the store at the same time. Anyway, but I (laughs) I had to the other night and it was a disaster, but anyway, um, but you know, but I, we really try to make back to school, like shopping for supplies and clothes, a really exciting thing, because especially if they're either scared or struggling for different reasons. If, if, I mean, one of our kids, you know, really has learning challenges and behavioral issues, you know, challenges at school. And so back to school can be really, it's like, Oh gosh, I'm going back into this, you know, cycle again. Um, but, or just like the fear of being in a new place or that sort of thing. So getting them excited, letting them pick out their supplies, letting them pick out their clothes, um, splurging. I mean, we are a pretty thrifty family across the board. Everyone in our home, you know, is thrifty or expected to be. But like when it comes to things like this, I really recommend like, just let this be a big splurge. I know Treehouse has a wonderful shop where you can go and pick up supplies. Um, and, um, that's a wonderful thing to take advantage of. Take your child there and let them pick things out, just have that empowering experience of getting ready for back to school. So that's the Treehouse store. It it was called the Warehouse up until recently, and we rebranded it. Um, Mm -hmm. Fantastic place. Mm -hmm. It is ran ran by the best people on earth. They're so loving and so kind, and and just you know they they make the experience as great as possible. Um, Here in Spokane, we have another agency called Teen and Kid Closet who does very similar work. We partner with them. There's there's other versions of that in different uh, different levels and scopes throughout the state. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, if you're a foster parent, try to utilize those as much as possible. Treehouse also has other ways of, of funding some some back-to-school clothing yeah. and supplies. Um, churches are really good about it. This, you know, and I, and I want to say this, and, and some people might take this wrong, so correct me if, I, if, I, if I'm too controversial in the way I say this, but um, it's very important to supply your youth with quality quality products. Yes. So don't yes. Buy their, try not to buy their school supplies from the dollar store. Yes. They're going to fall apart. They're going to break. They're not going to, they're not going to function very well. And believe it or not, they notice that their peers have things that are different. It's going to be one more thing that separates them. Buy them quality, you know, two pairs of American Eagle jeans are probably much, much better than six pairs of jeans from a box store, you know, yeah. and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. I wasn't supposed to say the store. Yeah. But you understand, I'm just saying higher quality stuff in lower uh, quantity yeah. is, is better than a bunch of stuff that's going to rip out and, and yes. not last them through the year, a really high quality pair of boots or shoes, backpacks are huge. We yeah. give back kids backpacks every year and they're, you know, generally what, what's on par with what they're getting at their high school. So if, yeah. if my, my child is wearing a North face backpack, I want to make sure the youth that we're, we're serving in that school are wearing the same thing yeah. because that, that goes back to the, your needs being met, you know, mm-hmm. you're being separated from, from your peers. You're, you're less than how do you possibly um, perform academically when all you're thinking about is how you're not worth what that kid sitting next to you is. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is so not I, I, a shallow yeah. concern for anybody listening. It's not a shallow concern. It's not. It's not. And it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's not that we're we're not grateful, but you know, we'll do some drives and we'll get a box full of the cheapest stuff possible. Yes. And and that tells our youth what we think they're worth. Yes. And so my my hope is that when you do donate, I would rather you if you have if you have a hundred dollars that you want to buy supplies buy a couple of really nice things than a ton of inexpensive things that aren't going to last mm-hmm. and not going to serve our youth well. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I think know. that's a great point. And I totally agree. I mean, it, it may be controversial, but not with me. <laughs> I totally agree with you. You know, another thing I'll mention is um, if you have a child that who has recently moved in with you or who will be going to a new school when they move into in with you, I highly recommend, um, that you make time to go to the school before they're actually going to start school. So we, when we have a new child come into our home, um, they generally don't start school the very next day um, for various reasons, paperwork or whatever, but I'll take them to the school. We'll walk around maybe on a weekend or um, go play on the playground. Or um, I have such a good relationship with everybody at the school now that I'll take them into the school. We'll walk around, get a tour, visit the library, all the things that students would do at the 
the beginning of a school year to get acclimated, to give your kid that experience rather than just showing up on the first day they're going to be thrust into class. They're not going to know where the bathrooms are. They're not going to know where everything is. And here, you know, they may not even know. um, Well, this is another thing. Talk with your child about how they're going to talk about their story at school because um, a lot of times our kids, and I'm thinking older kids, the little ones, this isn't so much of an issue with, but older kids, a lot of times they don't know how to respond to questions. And I find it's just so good for them to know that you as a foster parent are someone they can talk to about how hard this is. Right. You you want your youth to know that you have their back. Um, Yeah. They need to know that you're in their corner. Um, I, speaking to what you said at first, that I'll share a story from my my childhood that, that obviously was traumatic because I still remember it clearly. So when we would go into a new school, typically, you know, you go into the office, they'd register you, the secretary would walk you and your foster parent to the classroom, teacher would come out, they'd introduce you, then they, you'd walk in, and 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 um, and that was when an immediate registration happened. And I remember in in third grade, they brought me to a school. And they brought me into the front office and they signed me up and the secretary says, okay, have him sit there. We'll take care of this. And my foster parents left. And then the secretary walks over about 30 minutes later and says, go to room 203 and tell them you're a new student. Make sure they know you're in foster care. And they wanted me to walk to this classroom by myself, open the door, walk into this classroom full of kids and the teachers say, Hey, I'm, I'm Ernest. I'm a, I'm a foster kid. And I'm in your class now. Oh my gosh. And how, uh, <laughs> It's laughable now to think that actually happened, but what it's you're not, saying, I'm like literally, yeah. I'm, right. I'm like in tears over here. This is not laughable, Ernest. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is to about, me looking back. I mean, on that, I appreciate you know, yeah, what you yeah. mean, but I'm horrified right, right now it, it, <laughs> that it, that happens. Yeah, that that wasn't the normal practice, but yeah. but it, what it, it what it illustrates is that what you're saying about helping them be comfortable and familiar with their their yeah. surroundings before you thrust them into it yes. is a powerful thing. Yes. Now, now, now uh, you need to reflect that off the idea that ESSA laws state that a, a youth in foster care needs to be registered immediately. Right, right. And so, Which, so they, well, know. and here's the thing I want to say. Um, there are a lot of laws, and foster parents need to know this because I did mm-hmm. not know this. There are a lot of laws that are very hard to get anyone to enforce. Right. Yeah. We have had two children who were out of school um, and would have been out of school for weeks if I hadn't been driving them to school because right. we could not get the McKinney-Vento vouchers passed. Right, right. So I'm bouncing, I'm on the phone bouncing back and forth. Oh, so-and-so, you, you need to call them. You need to call the school. You need to call this. We didn't get the voucher. And it's day after day. And I'm like, you people are supposed to be providing rides. And, you know, I'm, I don't want the kid to think I'm mad at him. I'm not mad at him at all. It's just, you know, I've got kids in three different schools. How am I going to get them to, you know, mm-hmm. but it's just, yeah. I think foster parents need to know, like, there are these laws, right. but you don't always have someone who's going to be and maybe at Treehouse, maybe if I had called Treehouse. Well, that, if you had, we would have intervened. That is exactly Jeez, the kind of work. I know this. <laughs> well, you know, you do now. And, uh, now I do. <laughs> and uh, this is the kind of work that we we do multiple times. My my yeah. staff and our other staff are very, very skilled at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I can just imagine how frustrating it is when you don't when you don't know the system, especially in mm-hmm. new schools and when, when it, and it's not your normal job, it's not a p- typical part of your life to have to do that. That is what we do on a regular daily basis. The schools know what we do. So when we go in there, yeah. they're generally a lot more receptive to us mm-hmm. coming in. We're not the the loud parent that's, you know, screaming for their kid. Right. And so, um, right. but that, but you, you, you hit the, the nail on the head there by saying that, um, foster parents need to educate themselves. They need yes. to know, and, and for their own protection, for instance, when a, a youth comes into your home, you have to get them a well child checkup within a certain number of days or they'll be removed from your home. You know, I remember we had a foster kid, one of our first ones, we weren't even told that rule until the day before they were about to take them back. No one told us we had to get a well child checkup. And so we had to rush mm-hmm. and do that. You know, I had to mm-hmm. take, take off from work and, yep. and make sure that happens. So educating yourself as much as possible. And there are a lot of resources. Our website, again, is another yep. great resource for that. And, and just Googling yep. ESSA laws will be very yes. helpful. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to put that in the link below. This I've even learned something. ESSA, this is a new thing for me. I didn't even know. So every now every I know. student succeeds that. Yep. That's awesome. Um, I want to talk a little bit about helping educate teachers about how trauma affects children and learning. Um, Do you guys, so I found a resource and I can just tell you, and this is maybe just for foster parents listening to give an idea. Um, 
you happen to be talking to the president of the PTA at my kids' school, so I'm also <laughs> involved there. And um, and so I've used my my power my my platform as the PTA president to um, begin sharing resources with the whole school about mm. trauma and how it affects children. And I'm happy to say the school my kids go to, my my three of my kids, I have five and they're in three different schools, but the the three like in elementary school, um, their, their t- school happens to be taking a very um, like trauma-informed approach across the board. They're doing a lot of wonderful, right. I guess yep. maybe that's happening at a, a lot of places. All but, over the place, yeah. Yeah, but there was, um, there's a resource and I'm going to link it below also um, below in the show notes notes um, that I just found this past week um, that's a resource for educators to understand all of the different ways that trauma affects learning and trauma affects brain development and how certain actions um, can look like one thing but are actually, you know, coming from a place of trauma. Um, Have you found that teachers are generally open to that kind of a, like, input Absolutely. I, and, and again, I'll go back to approaching it the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, if you approach it from a, an adversarial standpoint where you say, you don't know something and I'm going to educate you, mm-hmm. doesn't usually fly very well mm-hmm. with the teacher. Mm-hmm. If uh, if you present it as a resource and uh, um, oftentimes they're very receptive. Um, I will also say, and I'll reflect what you said, is that most districts that I've encountered, usually, especially the larger districts, and it's getting more and more every day with smaller districts, are doing trauma-informed care trainings. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, we have people in Treehouse that also give those trainings to school districts and to, to staff and to, to other agencies that we work with. Um, and, you know, we, we work really closely with that, that concept that we need to understand the trauma that our youth face and, and how it makes brain development, you know, it, it changes brain development, it changes behaviors. Um, but again, uh, yeah, I do find that most teachers are very receptive to that. Mm-hmm. Not all, but, but for the most part, again, teachers just want what's best for our youth and they want to be, they want to improve themselves and they want to, they want to build themselves up. It, it, so the approach is, is very, very important, Yes, you know, um, uh, making sure we respect the fact that teachers engage in a lot of education, a lot of time, a lot of money to get to where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're required to continually engage in that education and, and spend their own money and do those kind of things. Yeah. And if we respect that fact and, uh, and approach it the right way, then they're usually pretty receptive to it. Yeah. And there are very few of them, I think, anymore haven't had at least some kind of trauma-informed care training, mm-hmm. but it, it's becoming more commonplace throughout, throughout yeah. at least the state of Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful for your time today. And I know this is going to be a good resource for, um, especially foster parents who are listening. Um, I would love for people listening, if you have other thoughts about how you have helped your kids, or if you're a former foster youth and you have thoughts about how we as foster parents can do a better job of um, supporting our kids, advocating for our kids and empowering our kids as they advocate for themselves um, going forward. Um, Please share those in the comments. And um, I just really appreciate this. We, we, we've got to do the best we can do for our kids. Absolutely. And they deserve it. They deserve it. And um, we're in a unique position as foster parents to, to really champion our kids. So, um, yeah. Thanks so much for your time today, Ernest. Absolutely. And just as a side note, if you want to include yep. my email address in the notes, um, especially for anybody in Eastern Washington, I, even my even my work phone number, I'm fine with that. I have, I have parents fine. reach out to me all the time. I redirect them to the, the appropriate place. So feel That's free to fast. do that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I will do that. I will do that. This is going to be a rich resource. All right. Thank you again. I'll talk to you again sometime. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to a Fostered Life podcast. For more information and resources for foster parents, please visit afosteredlife.com where you'll find blog posts, YouTube videos, and social media links so you can connect with others on the foster parenting journey. If you're interested in supporting my work at A Fostered Life, please go to afosteredlife.com and click on the tab, Support My Work. This will take you to my Patreon page where you can become a patron. Just $1 a month helps offset the cost of producing these resources and enables me to offer them freely to new and prospective foster parents. And I'm grateful for the support of my patrons. Thanks for listening and thanks for caring about foster care.